0: We all know that sales is emotionally and psychologically challenging. So what are you doing to make sure you're keeping your own head on straight? We'll get into that tiny little topic on today's episode of The Buyer's Mind. Welcome to The Buyer's Mind,
1: where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism. To reverse engineer the
0: perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shore. Welcome, everyone, once again to The Buyer's Mind. I am your host, Jeff Shore, joined by our show producer, Paul Murphy. And today, we're going to dive into this topic of not so much from the buyer's mind, but the salesperson's mind. Uh, How do we make sure that your mind is right? And we're going to bring on an expert on somebody who understands how our brain works, both from the Psychological perspective, but also from the biological perspective. How do we put those things together? We're going to learn a lot about the brain uh, today. Uh, Murph, you excited to learn about the brain?
1: I am excited. And I'm especially excited about having Dr. Hansen on. Uh, he was brought to our yeah. attention by, again, Ali on our team. Uh, and so yeah. I think this will be an exciting uh, interview.
0: You know, when I started to study Dr. Hansen, I started to look at the body of work that he has done and the number of things that he's uh, written about. Really, really interesting stuff because this conversation could go in any number of different directions, and uh, so we're just going to dive in here and we're going to try and take a look and see what can we do in order to grow our own brain in order to uh, make sure that we are the best version of us that we can be. Here's our interview with Dr. Rick Hansen. Well, it's always great to have uh, real specialists on our show. Uh, the show is called The Buyer's Mind, and we want to know what happens inside people's head when they're making a purchase decision, when they're interacting in some of the more difficult and complicated times of their life. And so we're thrilled to have Dr. Rick Hansen. He is a psychologist, he specializes in personal well being, psychological growth, contemplative practice. Uh, He can talk about relationships, family life, raising children. He's the author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller, Hardwiring Happiness, The New Brain Science of Contentment, Calm, and Confidence. I have a feeling several of you are writing that down. Hardwiring Happiness, we'll put it in the show notes. And his latest book, Resilient, How to Grow an Unshakable Core of Calm, Strength, and happiness. He speaks for major organizations and institutions around the world. You can get his free weekly uh, e-newsletter, Just One Thing, at his website, rickhansen.net. We'll put that in the show notes and also just a plethora of YouTube videos as well. Just a really, really great resource uh, to have at your disposal. Please welcome to The Buyer's Mind, Dr. Rick Hansen. Rick, how you doing? I'm great. That was a great intro. I appreciate it.
1: Greetings to everyone listening.
0: Uh what is the cocktail party answer to so what do you do?
1: I help people change their brains for the better. Oh,
0: well, that's a cool cocktail party answer. And I have a, <laughs> I've never said it
1: before either by the way. That's a great question.
0: <laughs> and I assume people would say tell me more about that because it's uh it's a it's a great little short. It's it's uh it, it pithy and intriguing at the same time. I love it. Yeah. Well, for me, it's really actually old school. It's about
1: self-reliance, right? How do you grow the strengths inside of various kinds, including happiness and self-confidence and skillfulness with other people? How do you grow those strengths so you carry them with you wherever you go, right? Mm -hmm. Because what you have inside yourself is what you can fundamentally count on.
0: I I love that that thought that what you have inside is what you can count on. And so a, a big part of your work, your body of work is to grow change that which you have inside that's
1: exactly right and what that means is that um you know i've actually worked as a salesman and um i think of it as one of the most challenging emotionally and psychologically challenging things you can do including from the perspective now many years later as a clinical psychologist you deal with rejection you have to muster yourself time and time again what do you dig deep into inside yourself and drawn to be able to do that. So, Mm -hmm. for example, I've gotten really interested in self-worth in this kind of sweet spot where you're both uh, feeling good about yourself and standing up for yourself, but you're not taking things so personally. So, I've learned a lot about how people from the inside out essentially can help their brain change at a rapid rate, you know, to steepen their growth curve as they go through life so that the experiences that they're having will actually really sink in. And in the process of that, defeat the brain's negativity bias, which prioritizes painful experiences of let's say rejection or disappointment or frustration or you know feeling bad about yourself or not as good as others. The brain's designed to kind of soak those in fast for raw survival. So how do we mm-hmm. defeat that and lean into in effect authentic, genuine experiences of resilience and grit and gratitude, even compassion for other people and ourselves so that we can actually hardwire them increasingly into ourselves. So I'm super into the actual how of that. I'm a methods guy in the trenches. That's what I really care about. How can you help yourself down the long and twisty road of life?
0: Mm -hmm. It's interesting that the experiences that we have in life uh, certainly can be learning experience, but we tend to look at it as we learn about the experience. But sometimes perhaps we fall short about learning about ourselves through those experiences? And and it sounds like that's sort of what you're encouraging people to do. Yeah, you know, it's it's really striking to me that the common
1: factor across all the prospects we talk with, all the settings we're in, all the people we work with, the common factor in all of that is what's inside ourselves, right? Because, you know, in the classic line, wherever you go, there you are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do you actually build up this, what I call unshakable core inside, so that as you deal with real life, you know, not wandering off to some cave somewhere, not sitting on a cushion to meditate all day long, really right. engaged in real life. Yeah. How do you how do you build up that core? Mm. Um, and so, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit about that. Sure. How do you actually grow you um, know, in strengths inside yourself that literally are grounded in physical changes in your brain so that mm. you take them with you now wherever you go into the future.
0: It's really interesting because you study the brain from Mm -hmm. both a psychological perspective and a biological perspective. Uh, I don't run across many who really are adept at marrying those two things together. That sounds like quite a challenge. Well, I appreciate you saying that.
1: I don't know why more people don't do it because it just seems so (laughs) useful, right? Yeah. I mean, the brain is embedded in the body and it's the body altogether that matters. But honestly, It's kind of magical to realize that right now, as people are hearing something or thinking something, feeling something, that experience is being made, is literally made by roughly three pounds of tofu-like tissue inside Mm -hmm. your head. And there's a kind of fancy old magical phrase for this. It's described as the enchanted loom, the brain, this enchanted loom that's weaving the tapestry of our experience moment to moment. So most people, me included, sometimes, I still admit, are swept away by reactions in there. You get angry, you feel bad, you feel hurt, you feel worried. You just don't want to get out of bed in the morning. You're carried away and being able to actually exercise more influence over that enchanted loom. So it starts weaving a better attitude, a more positive outlook, a faster capacity to bounce back, more patience with your family so you don't bring work home. Um, Being able to exercise more influence, more more agency over that enchanted loom is, Mm -hmm. I think, in many ways, the most important thing to learn of all right? Because if you think about it, learning in the broadest sense is the strength of strengths. It's the one that builds the rest of them. So if you've learned how to learn, and by which I mean emotional learning, attitudinal learning, motivational learning, social learning, if you've learned how to learn, you've acquired the superpower of superpowers because it's the one that grows the rest of them.
0: But that's difficult because there's, it requires such a high degree of intentionality to be able to do that. And in our world, in our go, go, go world, we are so reactive and so responsive that we generally learn when we get kicked in the teeth. But beyond that, it's not, it doesn't seem to be instinctual to want to say, well, you know, what does emotional learning look like for me today? Uh, right? right, right, Right. It looks like a hard discipline to be able to get our hands around. Yes. No, um, Where does the brain is designed
1: to be changed by, you know, the experiences that we're having. It's just that, as you say, partly in our culture, we're swept along to the next experience before the current one has time to sink in and leave a lasting positive physical change behind. So, you're right. Um, It helps to have a little bit of mindfulness. But what I'm talking about here, let me give you an example. Let's suppose that someone um, has gone through an interaction at at work in some way and there's a takeaway from it, right? Like, oh, it'll be better if next time I, I start this way or I don't go there or I just have a bigger perspective about, you know, don't sweat the small stuff whatever it might be. Maybe there's a right. takeaway. And then my experience is many, many people, me included, in that moment know what the takeaway is. But an hour later, <laughs> it's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, right. They didn't take right. it away. It didn't yeah. sink in. And mm-hmm. what I'm describing is a process over the course of 10, 20, 30 seconds each time where you slow down and you register the takeaway. You just kind of stay with it literally for a breath technically in the brain neurons are firing five to 50 times a second you know large millions of neurons are forming in effect coalitions with each other and firing at the same time 10 or 80 even times a second so a lot can happen over the course of a single breath in your brain so what i'm describing is when there's a takeaway slow down for a breath a breath 5 10 seconds you can do it right uh, maybe two or three breaths in a row right also if you can try to register it in your body get a feeling in there in your actual body of what it would feel like to take that insight with you next time or uh, kind of shrug your shoulders faster next time or be more skillful next time what would that feel like in your body and also last if you focus on what's rewarding about the experience in other words what's meaningful about it Or what feels good about it? What feels better? Like, oh, yeah, it would be better to be this way. Or, oh, it felt good when um, I was able to say those things in those ways, and I want to help that sink in. So I'm naturally like that next time. In effect, growing a habit, right? Well, if you focus on what's rewarding about the experience, that actually increases activity of dopamine and norepinephrine, fancy Mm -hmm. names for neurochemicals, inside Mm -hmm. your brain, which flag the experience as a keeper. So there there are other details you can get into if you want to get really, really good at steepening your growth curve in life. As you said generously to me, I've written a lot about that and I've got quick and easy things about that. But the essence is really simple. Stay with the experience for a breath or longer, whatever you want to take into yourself. Second, try to feel it in your body. Third, try to focus on what feels good about it. And as you do that. Bit by bit, you will really steepen your growth curve as you go through your day. A handful of times each day, not a lot—less than five minutes a day—but day after day after day, that's how to become, in effect, a top performer, both in your work and in your own internal experience of yourself.
0: Right, now, here's the yeah, but
1: to that. Good, I love those. Okay. Love yeah, but.
0: <laughs> so the the problem, the way I see it, is that that lesson that we want to get that takeaway. Is triggered by something that very well could have affected us in a negative way. It was triggered by embarrassment or shame or pain. Could and, it have been. I want to interrupt you. Could have in Correct. Sorry, I, I agree. Right. Yeah. It's not always the case, but sometimes that, and sometimes the most valuable lessons might come by way of something that went wrong. We don't want to sit in those weeds. I, I mean, are our brains not wired to qu- want to quickly get away from pain, to dismiss those things and just move on from life?
1: Oh, yeah, to be super clear, let's say that you go on a call, it goes badly, Mm -hmm. and then you get in your car and you go, whoa. And um, so part one, if you push down the ways that it felt disappointing or irritating or et cetera, that won't go anywhere you'll just suppress it you know in effect the Mm. brain is not like a flush toilet it's more like a septic tank you know the stuff Mm. hangs around so you have to feel it for a you know a minute or two or three you kind of let it go through your mind don't dwell on it but don't fight it it's kind of that sweet spot but then hey what's the learning what mm-hmm. can you take with you? What can you turn your attention toward that's beneficial? So that's what I'm focusing on here. Mm-hmm. And maybe the takeaway includes you know, making a mental note, in the future, be more skillful in such and such way. Right. Or maybe the takeaway is to um, bring to mind, frankly, people who do care about you. You know, other successes you've had in the past or people in your life in the present who who like you, respect you. Uh, Maybe they're not your best friends, but, you know, you can goof around together. You're part of a team, something like that. Turn toward, yeah, experiences that are confidence building or that help you be more resilient or kind of shake it off and keep on going. And then dwell there for, you know, a, a breath or two or longer. So that's very positive. And the method I'm describing, besides being utterly grounded in science of brain change in a very solid way, the method I'm describing also is motivating because you're right. We don't want to dwell on the negative. We want to turn toward what is, I use the word beneficial because it's easy to trivialize things with the word positive. I I really mean things that are useful and enjoyable um, that you can take with you. And that's motivating. And so over time, we get more and more motivated to do that.
0: We're talking to Rick Hansen. You can uh, just learn everything you need to on rickhansen.net H-A-N-S-O-N, by the way, .net, and we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Dr. Hansen, you, you talk a great deal about the science of happiness, and I find this really interesting. This used to be a subject that was poo-pooed by the scientific community as being right. fluffy and not important. Uh, now it is being thoroughly embraced. Explain the change of why suddenly the, the research community, the psychological community, the scientific and even the biological community yeah. is looking at it and saying no let's see if we can learn more about this thing called happiness because as it turns out the end users the recipients people like me we're kind of interested in happiness. Go oh that's right. That. Oh it's right. really interesting actually so A lot of things you could say
1: about it. Cut to the chase here. By happiness, um, I mean more generally a kind of feeling of well-being, you know, of worth and and connection with other people. So I'm using that term more broadly than just what it feels like, you know, to sit in a hammock with an umbrella, drink, Mm -hmm. and someone is, you know, scratching your head. Okay, Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, Happiness feels good, but a lot of the research is now showing that it is good that the positive emotions and a deep sense of well-being and even fulfillment in life does wonderful things to your immune system, strengthens it, makes you more resilient in terms of disease. It also helps you bounce back faster from adversity, even trauma. And happiness makes people more confident. They're more willing to try things at work and be open-minded and, and take greater realistic risks and therefore become more successful. So it's interesting. And actually, literally, uh, there's studies that have shown that happiness itself probably adds at least six months, if not more, to your lifespan in yeah. and of its own right. On average, so not too bad, right? And right. as to why there's been kind of a resistance, I find that really interesting. I think part of it comes from the fact that psychology, early on, was sort of embarrassed about itself and wanted to mm-hmm. prove that it was rigorous and tough. Okay, so mm-hmm. it kind of tilted toward uh, really hardcore statistics and also a focus on you know so what's called psychopathology, depression, anxiety, pain, and so mm-hmm. forth. Again, okay, there's a place for that. Sure. I think another piece of it has been the ways in which um, we almost have a kind of professional industry of Grinches, I think of it, people who make a living right, disputing that Mm -hmm. we ought to try to feel good in this life. And it seems so strange, because I know many of them personally. And they want their kids to be happy. They Mm -hmm. want their friends to be happy. They want to be happy themselves. But they make a living trivializing ordinary happiness in other people. I just think that's crazy. So bottom line, hey, if a person wants to be grumpy and grouchy as they go through this life, okay. And if somebody thinks that painful negative experiences are really the best thing in the world, they can have some of my own. But (laughs) meanwhile, I'm going to focus on what I call resilient well-being, that combination of being functional, being able to stick up for yourself and deal with hard things, while on the other hand, in the core of yourself, Feeling good, feeling contented, and having a lot inside yourself that you can, of course, offer to others, too.
0: Uh, I have read, and I I can't source it, but this concept that one of the great uh, predictors of happiness is the measure of gratitude that you carry around. Can you Mm -hmm. talk about that connection between gratitude and happiness?
1: Yeah. uh, In terms of the factors that lead to happiness, um, building up both moments of gratitude and what's called trait gratitude, you know, an attitude of gratitude is really Mm -hmm. powerful, just like you say. And one of the main reasons for it is it turns you toward uh, the things that are, are good in your life. And interesting also, I want to just name this, as people become happier, they become more able to see what's a problem. They see the difficulty in life, the injustice. They also can recognize their own faults better. It's interesting Mm -hmm. that actually as people become happier, they become more generous toward other people and also more able to stand up and help the world become a better place. It's not Mm -hmm. selfish. In other words, it's actually good for other people to become happy yourself. So Mm -hmm. one thing that gratitude does is that as you look out in the world, I think of the I think of reality as like a big mosaic, right? You got the you got the beautiful tiles in the mosaic, you got the crud tiles, you got some in between. All right. What gratitude does is it, it enables you to recognize actually so many good things in this life, which then in effect you feel more powerful and able to deal with the bad things so that's one benefit the other thing that gratitude does is that it's humbling it turns you to thankfulness i'm not grateful for my paycheck right i'm glad about it but there's an exchange of value there i am grateful for the people in my life who've gone out of their way for me i'm grateful for how amazing a flower looks i didn't make that flower right Mm -hmm. thank you flower or honestly i'm such a geek just at the basic level, you turn on a tap, a faucet, fresh water. Whoa. My dad was born on a ranch in North Dakota in 1918 in, in the middle of a sod house. They didn't have running water. They didn't have electricity, telephones, medical care, a uh, lot of difficulties. And in the course of his life, he just passed away a couple of years ago. Um, but we've seen so many changes in the world. So for me, I'm I'm really thankful. I, I, I'm kind of honest. <laughs> Awestruck with gratitude a fair yeah. amount of the time. Yes. Yeah, gratitude's uh, great.
0: Uh, I'll tell you that I, I can't measure it, but I think I'm the happiest person I know. <laughs> and I, I, wow! I'm, I mean, I'm glad person. for you. That's cool. <laughs> but, but I'm but I also recognize that that yeah. uh, practice of gratitude is so important in my life. And you know, I I, I happen to follow a, a an app that's on my phone called the the uh, Five Minute Journal, and it pops up mm-hmm. every morning at seven o'clock and asks what I'm grateful for today. And mm-hmm. and it, it, it pops up a, every night at nine o'clock and asks what were the best parts of your day. What are you grateful? Mm-hmm. And when you do this every day, as you were just saying, after a while, you're yeah. you're grateful for small things that you weren't even noticing before. I'm grateful for for symmetry of lines on the horizon and contrast of colors. And it's it just, I don't know, life is the heart. I know for a lot of people That's listening, fair. they're probably like, I got other things on my mind. And yeah. I'm arguing that maybe you shouldn't have so many other things on your mind. Stopping so for a little gratitude goes a long way. Well,
1: two things. One, what's the point of those other things on your mind? I mean, yeah. people would say, well, because so I'm successful. Well, what's the point of being successful? Well, so I'm happy. Well, if that's the purpose of those worries and frustrations and preoccupations inside your mind, uh, do what you need to do to be skillful and successful in this life. You know, I've been really ambitious myself. I've worked really hard for many, many years. Okay. There's a place for that. Well, meanwhile, why not savor the fruits along the way? It don't, let your methods for becoming happy crowd out happiness endlessly endlessly kicking that can down the road and i I love what you're saying there jeff about being willing to be delighted by lines in parallel that's Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a talent good for you
0: I, I want to circle back to something you mentioned earlier. You were talking about the unshakable core, and you mm-hmm. referenced specifically the negativity bias. You write a lot about negativity bias. Can you give us, a first of all, a definition, yeah. uh, maybe a little more of a clinical definition, and then a little bit of uh, application as to how it affects our lives every day? This is
1: one of the really, really useful findings from brain science. And The cut to the chase version is, we have a brain that's like Velcro for bad experiences, but Teflon for good ones. And I think we all know what that is like from the inside out. The origins of that in biological evolution is that as our ancestors were dealing with you know, Jurassic Park and the Stone Age and the rest of that, um, they really, really, really needed to learn from negative experiences. If they got away from that saber-toothed tiger, or frankly, that aggression inside their band or between mm-hmm. their bands, uh, if they survived that, uh, it was really, really important to take the lessons away. But on the other hand, if they failed to get some food today or they failed to you know, hook up with someone today, they would probably have a chance to do that tomorrow. So uh, as it were, sticks are more consequential than carrots in terms of raw survival. So mm-hmm. today, I'll go through this kind of fast. The brain does five things today and you can watch your mind doing it. Uh, one, scans for bad news. Two, over focuses on it. Three, uh, overreacts to it. We react more to loss than to gain. We react more to pain than to pleasure. We react more to rejection from other people than from you know appreciation. And then uh, fourth, the whole package is fast-tracked into emotional memory. Once burned, twice shy. It's very easy for people to become more negative over time. It's harder to become more positive over time. Just like you were saying earlier, you have to kind of work at it, including using apps like you described and so forth. And then the fifth thing that happens literally physically, the brain becomes sensitized to the negative. Um, it literally becomes more reactive through the stress hormone cortisol. So that's the negativity bias. Thank you, Mother Nature. It's Mm -hmm. really useful, you know, back in the Serengeti Plains. It's useful if you're working in a war zone or you're growing up in a war zone. But for most people today, it tilts them negatively. Uh, And um, as a person who makes a living, let's say, dealing with a fair amount of rejection, it's really important to pay attention to this negativity bias and Mm -hmm. to find that sweet spot where you recognize threat, you recognize challenge, you recognize what sucked, what didn't work well, and so forth. But you don't dwell there because the brain is very much like a sponge for that kind of crud. You know, get the lesson, see what there is to learn, move on. And then Mm -hmm. especially alongside that negativity bias, grow the good. Just like we were saying earlier, look for those moments, you know, a handful of times every day, less than half a minute at a time, where you slow down to receive the gains into yourself from the experiences you're having. Uh, whatever those might be, a experience of gratitude, a takeaway about how to be more skillful in the future, a feeling of being appreciated by other people, a sense of the worth deep down inside you. Could be a religious or a spiritual experience. Whatever is useful for you, slow down to take it into yourself. And so for me, that's kind of the fundamental thing. Uh, Mother Nature for survival is tilted toward pain and negativity. Um, to have a long, good life uh, and also to be more and more capable uh, by base, based on building up resources inside ourselves every day, we need to tilt toward beneficial experiences just to level the playing field.
0: I didn't do this with my children. I didn't have the advice at hand at the time, but but I have heard since that the better question at the dinner table is not, how was your day, but rather, what was the best part of your day? Because the how you, was your day will probably just trigger whatever that negativity bias is. We'll think about the worst part of the day right out of the gate. Probably a good discipline for people trying to raise children right now. Let, let's hit on one last thing here. We're just about out of time, but uh, I mm-hmm. want to talk about something, and this is, I, right now, I'm going to be totally selfish. This is just from my perspective. It's something that I've been studying. I have no idea if my audience is going to have any interest at all. But I want to talk about solitude uh, for just Mm -hmm. a moment. Um, I recently read Cal Newport's uh, amazing book, Digital Minimalism. We had him on the podcast, and Mm -hmm. uh, he talks extensively about or societal aversion anymore to solitude, those periods of time in our day where our brains are not being affected by anybody else's brains, whether it's digital or music or, or face-to-face or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That uh, It seems that that very process of solitude, and I know you've done extensive uh, work in mm-hmm. the field of uh, understanding meditation and the power of meditation, yeah. That idea of solitude has uh, gone by the wayside and Ooh. at great cost to us as individuals. So, can you just chat about that a little bit? But uh, I'm going to put a part B to this. And what do you do for somebody who says, Solitude? Do you know what my day looks like? And then when <laughs> my work day is done, what my kids look like? Uh, uh, a, a chat about that for just a little bit.
1: Oh, yeah. That's great, Jeff. Uh, first, I've lived the dream, you know, or lived the nightmare, right? I've uh, been in my work very much involves other people, both as a therapist and then also I do a lot online. And, and my wife and I have raised two kids to adulthood. And so, yeah, a um, couple things. One is deep down inside me, at least, uh, is, and I think a lot of other people, is a kind of scruffy, independent quality that doesn't want to be pushed around. And uh, I think it's really useful to tap into that motivation and to realize that much of what we put ourselves into or open ourselves up to, in effect, is pushing us around. We're reactive to the next You know, the next thing in the Twitter feed where the next email that comes at us, our phone pings uh, every time it vibrates. Mm -hmm. We're being pushed around and I don't like being pushed around. And if you think about it, attention is your most fundamental property. It's because who you become is what you rest your attention on, literally based on how the brain changes. And more generally, what you experience, your your experience of living in this moment, is grounded in where your attention is resting. So if you don't have control over your attention, uh, you don't have control over who you are or who you're becoming or your life. And we're surrounded by very clever forces that are trying to take our attention. They're trying to take our property from us again and again and again. And I think realizing this um, can help people be more motivated to do something about it and then make good choices. So how to do it? You can be in the middle of a very extroverted day. In fact, you're really interacting with other people. It's your living. You know, It's fine. You've got to do it. But in the core of your being, can there be a sense of an inner, fill in the blank, castle, fortress, temple? space that's only yours and in that internal sense of of me in the most general sense um do you have a a feeling that you can come home to yourself in that way and kind of kick back take your shoes off there you know sit on the couch in your own little inner sanctuary and just Mm -hmm. take a big breath and go whoa what the heck and Mm -hmm. make sense of your day for yourself unilaterally autonomously on your own. To me, that's really the core of it. Uh, and then the other piece of it here is to recognize the addictive nature, that kind of dopamine buzz of the stem, the stimulation that comes with each little thing pinging your attention. Uh, our, uh, you know, modern technology kind of makes us addicted to the next bit of stem coming down the road. And you can sort of watch your mind. Do that, and then ask yourself fundamentally, what's the best for me and others you know i think about this this proverb that wisdom is choosing a greater happiness over a lesser one it's easy to choose happiness over misery right mm-hmm. but choosing a greater happiness of a more uh, of a broader well-being and also a longer lasting well-being over the immediate buzz gratification of that dopamine hit when you look at the next new thing or you listen to the next new thing. And I think that's really what people have to do to do that. I I myself have spent a lot of time in wilderness. Uh, I love being off trail by myself in the middle of nowhere. And uh, that for me is a really meaningful thing. And last thing I'll just say, I think one thing that stops people from solitude is they're afraid of what they'll find when they slow down and they're afraid of what they'll feel when they're actually alone with themselves. And if that's actually true, wow, that's cautionary. That's haunting. People should really address that. And uh, most of the time, though, when you just slow down and you just kind of be with yourself, you know, The stress reduces. A lot of research on this. Uh, a little trick for people is to be aware of the internal sensations of breathing as you, as you breathe. Feel the air coming into your lungs and flowing out. That engages parts of your brain that are tuning into you, and most of the time, there's a basic feeling of well-being there. Uh, when you slow down and come home to yourself, most of the time, it's good there. And when you take in the experience of that, you'll be more motivated to come home again in the future.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. That is Dr. Rick Hansen. You can learn everything you want at rickhansen.net. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, my guess is uh, a lot of you have a little business to do with yourself right now. I would encourage you before you go on to your next task, take a little bit of time to stop and reflect and ask yourself some of the questions that you weren't going to ask before you heard from Dr. Hanson. I think you'll be better off for it in that time of self-awareness. Dr. Rick Hansen, thank you so much for being on The Buyer's Mind. Jeff, it was a complete pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, Murph, you and I have had this conversation before about the idea that uh, if you just ask your kids how was your day, they're probably going to start with a negative. And here we hear about the the negativity bias, and I thought uh, Dr. Hansen did a fantastic job of pointing things out that we 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 don't know. We know, but we don't know, right? We've never really had it uh, uh, put so clearly, at least on this show. Well, and quite frankly, uh,
1: after having talked to you, I put it into practice with my kids that come from home from school, we'd have dinner. And uh, the question was, was, you know, how was your day? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I started asking, what's the best part of your day? Opened up a whole new venue for us.
0: A really interesting way to look at the brain, calling it a a Velcro for bad experiences and Teflon for good ones. And it's true, right? We tend to, I think sales professionals deal with this on a regular basis. They have that really difficult person who's really challenging and really pushing them. And uh, then what happens? Even if that, as that conversation is over, what do we want to do? We want to hold on to it. We want to tell other people about it. We, we really tend to live with that. And I think that that negativity bias probably has its strongest sense when we have a negative interaction with another human being. Does that uh, pass the real-life test for you, Murph? It does. Uh, I tend to have a lot of negative self-talk in my head that I have to overcome. Uh, Now, having said that, uh, I love the concept that he is really looking at a lot of these deeply psychological things and trying to figure out how to make it highly... Applicable to our day to day life. And it was great. Of course, we've talked before about uh, the, that gratitude, happiness uh, connection, but it was really uh, cool to hear all of the benefits of gratitude, how extensive. Uh, uh, those those uh, benefits of gratitude and happiness. That the idea that happiness just does just feel good. It is good that it strengthens you. It makes you more confident. It increases your resiliency, and even that it adds six months or more to your lifespan. Not a bad deal. I want to live six months longer. That would be good. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I'm happy, I do. Right? If I'm happy, I do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll tell you what. Just a a couple of things. If you're listening to this podcast, if you're a salesperson and you're wondering, like, what do I do with this now? If you're a sales marketing professional, what do what do I do with this now? And I do want to recommend that you pause for a little bit and take some time at the end of this message. uh, And if you can't do it right now, then find a time very very soon to. To be still, to be alone with your thoughts apart from your phone and your computer and your radio and other people. But just find some time to ask yourself some of those um, important questions about life and just that stillness, just that opportunity for a little solitude. It'll go a long, long way. And as Dr. Hansen said, attention is your most fundamental property. If you don't have control of your attention, You're going to be in deep trouble, Uh, but where is that space that is yours and it is only yours? I want to encourage you to take the time here just to be able to step aside. I will tell you, for me, this is something that I'm doing on a regular basis. When I'm at work and I get stressed out, I will find just five minutes, and I will stand up from my chair, and I will walk over to my phone, and I'll make sure that everything is on silent, so that if anything is trying to reach me, it cannot, it can't reach me. And I'll walk over to my my window away from my desk, and I will just look out the window for five minutes. I'll just look out the window. I'm not trying to think of anything. I'm not trying not to think of anything. I'm just spending five minutes looking out the window. And I find that by the time I am done here, by the time I get back to my desk, I am calm, I am at peace, and whatever the issues were that were stressing me out, they have reduced dramatically. The thoughts start flowing a lot more vividly. Why? Because the brain needs rest. The brain needs those moments to step away When you are grinding away at a problem, at an issue, at whatever it is, it's going to consume you, and it's going to seem way more important than it really is. Those moments of rest are going to be critical to your well-being. Find those moments. If it's the opportunity to walk around the building, if it's the opportunity to go sit in your car for a couple of moments, if it's the opportunity to just spend a couple of moments going into that space, that private personal space, away from everything that is around you, it will pay off over and over again. If you don't, you're going to be a victim of the grind, and it's going to cost you dearly. All right, there you have it, another episode, an important episode of The Buyer's Mind, where we look at it and we say, what's happening in the sales mind. What is happening in your mind? And when you can get this right, that is when you can best serve your customers. Hey, if you love this episode, we would sure appreciate it if you would post it on your social media. Let other people know that this is an episode worth listening to. If this helped you, just share the love. Let other people know. We really appreciate uh, your opportunity to help grow our podcast. Thanks for listening to The Buyer's Mind.